Hey guys, and welcome back to So Stignatious, the podcast where the name is made up, but the people are real. I apologize for a little bit longer time in between these last two episodes, but I promise by the next week I'll be back on my normal schedule. Today I have a special treat. I had the honor of talking to a former Cal offensive lineman, Eric Robertson. Eric had a hell of a career at Cal, playing on some of the most successful teams that Cal has ever had in the early 2000s. Uh, He went on to play five years of professional football, both in the NFL and UFL. After that, he bounced around careers a little bit before discovering, um, by way of former teammate, the career path of firefighting and over the last almost two years now he's taken off running in that profession. Eric is also a self-described Berkeley guy by which he means a little bit nerdy and interested in a whole lot of areas. He's passionate about football, Norse mythology, firefighting, music. Uh, The former teammate that actually got him into firefighting they had some jam sessions back in college and have now turned that into a band which is super super cool additionally he also breeds dogs you know this guy does a whole lot of a lot of different things and it's really just these different areas of passion that he's gone and chased after and really stayed stignatious in all of his pursuits i hope you guys enjoy so i'm here today with eric robertson former uh, football player and offensive lineman Back in the the early 2000 glory days, right? Yeah, 2002 to 2006 right. was my, my career here. Yeah, so that's awesome to be able to talk to someone who had the success that um, Cal kind of had at, at the peak success, what we're, what we're aiming to get back, back after this year Definitely. and uh, the following couple of years. Um, Anyway, uh, what's it like being back here in the in the stadium? I know you've been back a couple of times, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, first off, I mean, it's amazing. This is the second time I've been to the university club. Um, I got the, the chance to do it last year because my fiance, Christina Thorson, who played softball here, was inducted into Cal uh, Athletics Hall of Fame in October last year. She got to go into... Um, Congratulations to her. Yeah, yeah. No, she's, awesome. she's a superstar. So we got two, two complimentary passes to the university club for that game and to see what we were missing most of the time. But uh, that was during a UW game last year. So uh-huh. we got to go on the sideline and stuff. It was cool. But... I mean, the first time we came here was a little bit of jealousy, honestly, because like, dude, the stadium, the stadium is so nice, but it's it's long overdue. You guys deserve it. Um, not just our program, every program, like, is the foundation for it. It was long overdue. So, um, I mean, we're the number one public institution in the world. We definitely deserve facilities for the for the football and other other sports that are work up, up here. Uh, it's it's been needed. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can say I really appreciate all that nice stuff. That I think what well, it's probably about eight years ago now since they renovated yeah, it. Something yeah, yeah. Like because it took I mean it took some time, man. I was still here working out after my college career, but trying to do the pro football thing, and I was working out here regularly for like three years in the off season. Uh-huh. And so I was there for all the all the people in the trees and stuff, and that was a <laughs> process, man. Like it was. It just became a fixture almost like, and that that was when like the, you know, we'd go up to the second level of the weight room, and they were like eye level with the the people in the trees, and they're just like, oh, I wonder how long this is gonna last. It was years, so yeah, yeah, it's been a process. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, dude, beautiful facilities, and the, I know you guys 
you're heading in the right direction, and this definitely helps with that recruiting everything. And um, like I said, a little bit of jealousy, but <laughs> we had to make the best of what we had. Like we just called it like the blue collar mentality. You know, yeah. like we would literally like do our our platform lifts, and you drop the weights, and like concrete dust would come out of the <laughs> of the platform. You're like, that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> so it, uh, yeah, no, yeah. that's that's funny. I was actually talking with. Um, one of uh, the thing was I was talking with Coach Wilcox the other day um, about some of the the new stuff because right now um, everyone listening knows that, or if you don't know our locker room is being redone, mm-hmm. um, being built into something a little bit nicer and you know we were talking about I was asking him sort of like how much does this really help with recruiting all that stuff and he was saying that when he like talks to the people who are making the designs for the new lockers or are going to do whatever to the facility. He wants them to make it nice, but not too nice because you don't want to completely lose that, that mentality of, you know, hard work and you don't want it to turn into to a luxury sort of deal. Like you're saying, yeah. it's like we deserve to have good functional stuff that, that is nice. But at the same time, like we don't want people that are trying to come here just for, yeah. Amenities. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like, I could see as a coach, especially from a recruiting aspect for Coach Wilcox, like, needing to find a balance there. So, hey, you don't want to – you don't want the entitlement to, like, things are just going to happen. Like, you still – yes, things are nice. You have facilities to help you be as successful. But you still got to put in a lot of work, right? Which I love that Coach Wilcox's staff is that the whole earn it mentality you guys mm-hmm. have. Like, that's been the catchphrase. And – uh, it's it's clean from a PR professional ex professional standpoint. It's like that's a, that's a nice, clean, quick catchphrase. Earn it. I like it. I'm all about the motivational stuff that like you could get tattooed or something like that. Yeah. Which pe- for the listeners, I'm covered in tattoos. So I saw that. I was like, that would have been. I if I would have played under that, I'm sure I would have had that tattooed on me. I'm, so <laughs> our uh, our um, our mottos with Coach Jeff we're we're good, but much more long, much longer mouthfuls. So no tattoos of that. Yeah. So not short and sweet. Yeah, I know. So let's talk a little bit about after uh, you finished playing here. You had an awesome career here, and mm-hmm. uh, the teams did super well while you were here. And then you tried to play, or you did play professionally for a little bit. Yeah, bounced around. Um, so I, I ended up tearing my right calf when I started training for the draft. So I ended up. I couldn't play in my all-star game, which I got invited to the the first um, Texas versus the nation game. I don't know if they were even still playing that game, but mm-hmm. it was the first time that all-star game came and I couldn't even play. So my chances from being drafted kind of went to nothing and I got undrafted, but which was awesome. And I went to San Diego um, undrafted, which I'm from Southern California. So that was like, you're going to pay me to go home? Like, this is awesome. So, yeah. um Ended up doing really well, but having a foot injury in that training camp and getting a settlement. And so um, I rehabbed, got re-signed by the Chargers, went through camp, got released the next year, the last day. At least I was healthy. Um, and then went. I got picked up later in the season by the Seahawks and put in their practice squad. And um, backing up a little bit, the Seahawks were one of the teams I was looking at actually thinking about drafting me mm-hmm. and when when the when I could not practice or play in my all-star game that week before the game the scout came up and asked me he's like you gonna be able to practice and he was super disappointed so fast forwarding I started having issues with my left calf when I was on the practice squad up there yeah and so they were like 
okay, we're done with this guy. So they, I finished the season for them, but it was a, it was a, I was there kind of towards the end. Yeah. They just didn't bring me back, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, was fortunate enough to go on to play three more years in the UFL. But I did fully tear that calf the, the first year of the UFL, too. So I tore, by the time my career was done, I had a fractured foot my rookie year, and I tore both calves. And it was, none of them were longer than a six-week injury, but it was just bad timing. Like, and part of the NFL, just like being a musician, is there is a big aspect of luck, right place, right time. And I got two opportunities and just one couldn't stay healthy and the second one just wasn't the right place, right time. And so my NFL career was two years, my UFL career was three. And trying to get back in the NFL looked like it wasn't going to happen, so I just kind of moved on, basically. So What was that like? Um, did you have – because I, I know – when, once you were done playing here, the, the goal was obviously to go play professionally. Yeah. Was there much of a backup plan in place? A little bit. I mean, I did finish school, and um, even th- there was a handful of guys that I played with that did not, and I was had, lucky enough to do that. I, I initially thought I was going to be a teacher. So in the, in the short amount of time between the U- NFL and the UFL came about, I started actually teaching, um, working to get my credentials, and... Um, when I got the chance to go play football, and I obviously pursued it and kind of put that on the back burner. And after that, I started talk, like talking more to like my connections with Cal alumni and former teammates. And um, I did try for a little bit corporate retail, uh, retail uh, management, like for the Target Corporation. Okay. A, a girl who was a pole vaulter here, excuse me, that I worked with for one of the, going into my junior year, I was a peer advisor for incoming like freshman student athletes mm-hmm. and uh, she was as well and she recruits for the Target Corporation so she got me to do that and I don't want to say anything bad but I found retail management to be soul crushing so <laughs> I ended up walking away from that job um, and g- getting a chance to play two more years with the UFL they, the team the Sacramento Mountain Lions brought me back actually one more year excuse me so um, it was after my second season with the UFL um, I thought I was going to retire, and it came out of retirement, played one more season. And then the starting center who, when I was a freshman here, we were we just became good friends, even though he was five years older than me, mm-hmm. stayed in touch. He was, he works in public relations, and he kind of, he started playing the seed, like, hey, you're really, first off, you talk a lot, and you're pretty personable, like, you always go to parties and make a lot of friends you should probably work in PR. And I was like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Sure. And um, he worked specifically in PR for video games. He worked for, at the time, he worked for uh, 2K games. I don't know if you played like yeah, NBA yeah. Or, or Borderlands or any of those games. Sure. 2K published those games. And I he would always like, I was very familiar with the publisher. And, and he used to work at an, an agency that works with 2K called Access Communications. They're based in San Francisco. And he, he basically, literally, after a Thursday practice, while I was still playing with the Mountain Lion in Sacramento, I drove out and interviewed for an internship on his account. And then ended up getting that internship and getting hired ahead of time. It was a paid internship, but I got hired ahead of time and just kind of took it and rent with it. And I was working in video game PR and then some of the other PR stuff. I was working on sports. Like, we represented Exos, who trains guys for the draft and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, that was cool. It was a natural fit. Um, and it was cool, man. Like, I did it for five years total but after about three and a half years i just ultimately it boiled down to it was still a a corporate desk job and i went from being a professional athlete to a desk jockey 
and getting real antsy, like right. honestly. And I and you'll experience this at some point in your life. Hopefully, if you preserve the NFL, it'll be years later. But that first August, I, I retired for good in 2011, and I moved to San Francisco, and I was working uh, as an intern. And when August rolled around the next year, I I just found myself. I was still working out because I just like working out. I found yeah. myself getting super strong. And super restless. I'd be sitting at my desk, like really restless, and I was like, "What is going on?" And literally, my body was prepared for training camp. Like it was the first time in 14 years where I wasn't going into football. Yeah. And I, like, it kind of clicked. Like, oh crap! Like my biological clock is like in tune to football for from the last 14 years of my life, uh-huh. and this is the first year in my life where I wasn't reporting for football camp. And it was like a physical, like biological reaction. I was like, that's crazy. crap, dude. Yeah. yeah. So like even right now thinking about it, I'm like getting chills because I remember sitting at my desk like, what is going on this, this like couple of weeks? And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I would be in camp right now, like starting double days. And that makes sense. Okay. And then once I kind of realized that, I just like kind of channeled it into working out and stuff. And um, it so that was an adjustment, but you know, you, you'll probably go through it at some point. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, getting off track a little bit, I... I did the, the PR thing, and like I said, that restlessness still ended up kind of catching back up with me after about three and a half years, and that's when I started pursuing the firefighting. Yeah, before we even get into the firefighting. Yeah, that's a whole whole thing. Oh, oh we'll get into it. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. Before we get into that, why initially was the idea to be a teacher, and uh, why didn't you ever come back to that? Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, there's a couple answers of why I didn't come back to it, but initially... Coming out of high school into college, I thought I was going to be a history major. I thought I was going to be a teacher, probably sure. a history teacher um, or like a British literature teacher or something. High school, though, I was thinking I would be a high school teacher, partly because my one of the more influential men in my life besides my father was my, my football coach in high school was also my wrestling coach. He was my head football coach, head wrestling coach. I did both uh-huh. for four years, and um, he was... Uh, a teacher there and a coach and I was like that's a pretty good gig like yeah. that sounds cool but he taught PE and I was like PE is lame yeah. I was going to teach something a little better so I thought I, I was really into like British literature and history and stuff like that and uh, so I thought I was going to be a history teacher and a coach honestly but um, the history thing didn't pan out it, well it kind of did in a full circle way I didn't major in history at Cal but I ended up majoring in Scandinavian studies with an emphasis in like Viking and medieval age Scandinavian history so and I, and you are Scandinavian I'm part Scandinavian yeah, yes I'm not 100% the spelling of your name yeah Eric with a K yeah Robertson the S-O a little bit of Viking in there yeah definitely and then Christina my fiance is Norwegian her she's Christina with a K and her last name's Thorson yeah. So like, I mean, her, me, even me, I call her Thor. I don't even call her Christina. <laughs> like people see me texting this person named Thor. They're like, oh, you got a buddy named Thor. Is he cool? I'm like, nah, that's my girl. So, because she, she was a picture with like a, this very big personality on the mound with like dark makeup and getting in a nerd level. Thor is known for like having a super terrifying gaze, which is really funny because she would like do this gaze, like stare down batters when she would strike yeah. them out. So it was like. Yeah, that fits your Thor for sure, and your name's Thorson. Kind of makes sense. So, yeah. So there's definitely the Scandinavian tie, but I'm only at like 25%. My dad's half Swedish, half um, German. My mom's half Irish, half okay. Scottish. So I'm a Nordic mutt of sorts. Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I chose to align myself with Swedish and learn Swedish at Cal. And 
went down that route. And you loved, learned, you learned Swedish while you were here? Yeah, to do the Scandinavian major, you have to pick a, a Scandinavian language. So I think they offer Finnish now, which is not Scandinavian, but the, the history is so closely tied together, you can choose it. But uh, yeah. yeah, they're like, you have to pick Danish, Swedish, or Norwegian. And I was like, well, I guess I'll go with Swedish because I'm Swedish-ish. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, yeah, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, do you, do you you don't still speak it, do you? I I'm conversational okay. at best. That's, yeah, I mean, it's been cool. quite a it's been quite a while. Um, I've never and I'm I'm re- I'm revealing my darkest secret. I've still yet to go to Scandinavia. It's on my list. It's on the go. When I when yeah. I when I declared the major my junior year, the head of the department whose name is Linda Rugg, she was like. You can do this major, but you're not going to be able to study abroad because of football. So you're going to have an uphill battle learning the language, because I don't get that immersion. Right. Know? Yeah. And, but I, it, it felt natural to me, not because I'm Scandinavian, because Swedish is a Germanic language like English. Mm-hmm. It was easier to me than learning Spanish. So like, there's a lot more things that make sense, and they've they've, they've it's easier than German because you don't have like inverted word you have some inverted word order but you don't have as many genders so it wasn't too bad and I the biggest compliment I got in my life was I met um, a woman who was a backup singer for the band Coheed and Cambria I don't know if you've heard of them but they're like a pretty big prog metal band okay they had a backup singer who they were on tour with who was from Sweden and their sound guy who was my buddy was like hey I want to introduce you to this this guy named Eric he's a Swedish guy and we spoke Swedish for that I was much more fluent than I was only a couple years out of college Uh And we, she asked me, she's like, did you learn Swedish in Southern Sweden? And I was like, you have a Southern accent. I was like, nope, learned in Northern California. <laughs> I was like, that means one of two things. Either my Swedish is that good that you think I learned in Sweden, or I have like a redneck Swedish accent. And one of the two is probably both. So. Probably. Yeah, yeah, I'm still conversational. I occasionally run into people that speak it and like, well, I'll give it, I'll throw out a little bit, but dude, I'm far from fluent. I was fluent though, yeah. for sure. But without, without being able to visit to earn it has not kept up as much. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm I'm a one language guy right now, so it's all good. If I can ever if I can ever do be conversational <coughs> in anything else, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, um, it was cool. Yeah, so I guess to to end the teaching point. Yeah, there, I was gonna say to finish yeah. that. I di- I didn't go back to it because um, one is I I did that PR gig. And it ended up, I just, like, I excelled at it, you know. Uh-huh. I, I took it and ran with it, and I was doing really well for the company. And I was having fun. Like, I was having fun working in, especially the video game side of public relations. But, like I said, ultimately, it still was a corporate job, and it was a client service job, and it was it was a high-stress job. And I'm sitting at a desk, and I'm like, this kind of sucks. You yeah. Know? So, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go back to teaching, though, for one, honestly, one reason is uh, financial compensation. I was like, teachers, they don't not, they, they're not paid what they deserve to be paid. Absolutely. Um, and I, I also was behind the ball because I never did get the teaching credential, so I would have uh-huh. had to go back to school another time. And I, I, I had just you know an honest conversation with myself and my good friend and bandmate Francis Blamiza, who played here at Cal with me, who is a captain in the Alameda County Fire Department, um, about firefighting. And I had a lot of friends from high school and college become firefighters, so it was on my radar. I had to go back to school to do that as well. I was like, if I'm going to go back to school, I want to do something I, I, I think I really, really enjoy. Not to say that I wouldn't enjoy being a teacher, but to be able to be still a public servant and physical and kind of get back what I what I lost and missed the most from my football career of like that camaraderie, mm-hmm. I, I, I pursued that instead. 
And so I still had to go get my EMT, and I ended up going to paramedic school. And I, I was doing that while working in public relations. And, um, but I think that was still quicker than having to get my credential. I'm not sure because I didn't do it. But yeah. Um, so part of it was I just <clears> didn't. I knew it, it's a struggle to be a teacher, and seeing what teachers deal with. Because I one my best friend from college who was an offensive lineman with me, same class, is a teacher, and he lives in San Leandro, and is, but his wife is definitely. She's got like the, the marketing job for. Uh, she works in the spirits industry. Um, I think she works for Barefoot or used to work for Barefoot. Uh-huh. She's definitely the breadwinner, and he's where he's working at a private school. He's got his masters, but he's still, I I I would say underpaid. You know, mm-hmm. but so that was a part of it. Honestly, I was like, it's hard to live in the Bay Area and be a teacher. And the other part was, I was like. You know, what's also cool is being a public servant and getting to swing an axe and, and chainsaw, <laughs> wielding chainsaws. That's pretty cool, too. So I will say I do um, – I consider it like teaching. I do coach just a few students, offensive line students, actually. One of your teammates, I used to coach Brandon Mello. Oh, yeah? So I just do like one – because my uh, – Christina, who I mentioned, her full-time job is she's a private pitching coach for softball. Uh-huh. She just – she books lessons – does that full time? So she, when I was kind of making a transition and looking for extra cash, she she convinced me to try it for O line. Years ago, when she started, she said that too. But at the time, like nobody gave a crap about O line. It was all right. about, it was all about the skill positions. Grow. Now, yeah, now people understand. Culture. They understand how important it is, and especially to get an early start. So when I started it a couple of years ago, now I had people actually interested. So I had clientele from uh-huh. the middle, from all the way from middle school, elementary school, up to. Um, my first student was a guy who just graduated from Washington State, uh, Noah Meyer. He's a lineman up there. I'm okay. Know him. You probably, if you played defense, you would know him because you scouted him, but he's on offense, so you might not. But, yeah. Um, and then shortly after that, I started working with Brandon. And uh-huh. uh, so I've had, I just have a few co- local students. I don't do it nearly as much as Christina does because it's just like a, right. it ended up being almost a hobby. Like I still, I do get paid, but it's like I just work with the few students that I want to work with. And it's cool because it's like, it scratches the teaching itch. It scratches the coaching itch, which I also never pursued. Coaching. Well, it keeps, I mean, it also, you know, it sounds like football was always something that you were trying to keep in your radar. Yeah. Whether yeah. it was trying to play professionally or, or being a high school teacher and coach at the same yeah. time. And it's like another way to let you kind of keep that connection to the game. Yeah, I can, I'm able to be a good mentor to a couple a couple kids, not as many, but uh yeah, it's it's been nice to be involved and also to stay involved with uh, with the Cal program, even though I've been involved otherwise. But um, it's a little bit extra to have a couple students come and do your guys' camps and could be able to show up and support them, uh-huh. and then meet all the like see all the coaches I know. And Andrew McGraw was he's been with this program since before me. Andrew does most of our operation stuff for people that are listening. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if he still has the same role, but he was the the director of recruiting for when I was when I got here. So that he's, he's changed he's, a little bit, a little but still bit. here. Yeah. yeah. Same. Yeah. So he like to be able to show up and be like, dude, this, this kid is, I've been working with him and like vouch for him. And now to have one of my students come to Cal, that's uh-huh. awesome. Yeah. yeah. I had other people's like parents hit me up. They're like, how much money did you get for that? I'm like, nothing. Like I, I was just, I answered questions when he had them and I, I was like, obviously I went to Cal on bias and he ended up choosing Cal mostly to stay local with his parents and stuff. So, yeah, but it was, it was really cool to come to the spring game last year and see Brandon out there and doing really well actually. So I was like, oh, that, that's a little extra feather for my cap. I guess yeah, you yeah. say so, 
Um, but yeah, so I'm not I'm not a proper teacher. I can't say I am, but I, I do get to stay involved with that sort of stuff. So it's cool. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, and I, I know you talked a little how you got into firefighting. Uh, yeah. But you want to talk maybe more about how you like, you know, the transition from from the desk job, desk jockey sort of position to, you know, how you're saying it's like awesome, we get to swing an axe, whatever. Yeah. But what are the things about the job um, make it something that you love to do so much? And uh, for people out there listening, I um, have seen Eric before a couple times. I haven't had a long conversation like this before, but we have these professional roundtables where a lot of Cal alumni, um, a lot of them former football players will come back maybe two or three times a year and uh, basically the whole team's there. We get a little intro to everybody, what they do professionally. Then you can go down, sit with people, make connections, build your network. And Eric's been at, at a couple of those. Um, so that's that's how I've, I've known him beforehand. And so he's out there, they're uh, vouching for firefighting yeah, as, definitely. as a great career to, to do after football if, if you can't deal with sitting at a desk or whatever, whatever other yeah. white collar things there may be. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so talk a little bit about what you love about the job. Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I have to say, and it, this is the reason why we keep coming back for, for not just the football program, but athletes of all types, is it's a natural fit for athletes. Um, like I said, you, especially the co- collegiate athletes, and if you make it to the pro, obviously, like, the pro athletes is that your life is a it's routine but it's being physical Mm -hmm. knowing like after now having been a firefighter for over a year and a half and gone through a paid academy for with the department it is it's striking the similarities at least to my career as a football player and i can imagine for a lot of other athletes but specifically sports where you have training camp Mm -hmm. it's crazy like when I was in the academy, you know, I'm, I'm the guy in the academy with, I think we started with maybe 20 guys and um, maybe 19 guys and we had one woman. And they, they were like, Eric, what's it like being in the NFL? And I was like, well, you know, how, you know how hard it is right now in this academy? It's like that. I was like, <laughs> that, do you want to know what double days feel like? This like is this. what double days feel yeah. like. Your body, because we have what's called hose week. The two most difficult weeks in traditionally in fire academies not just ours but any is hose week and ladder week they're very physical and it's it's designed to weed people out just like the i mean uh it's no secret that um firefighting is it's the, the academy and the the command structure is very paramilitary uh-huh. so much like boot camp for new soldiers is what the academy is and I knew that going in they're going to break us down and build us back up together Mm -hmm. so they're trying to weed out the people who are not very serious the people who think they want to be there but they don't they don't want to put the work in sure and so that first week hose week is the worst for like if you went to academy you would laugh at ladder week ladder week is tough for some people because our department is one of the few last departments at least in California that uses wood letters so we have we have wood ladders up to thirty five feet that are extension ladders uh-huh. that weigh I should know the exact number but I don't but like weigh almost two hundred pounds. Uh-huh. Um, so for smaller people, especially it, it, not just smaller physically but shorter, it's very difficult to throw a ladder from flat 
to like raising it up to the side. It's like something we have straight ladders that are 24 feet long. Like just the leverage it takes to get it up sure. past that point is really hard for people. For me, that was easy. Hose week was really bad. Hose week is is also physical, but when you're when you're pulling hose, like if there, it's all simulating being attacking a fire. Yeah, you're on your knees. So you're, you're simulating IDOH env- environments, which means immediately hazardous to life and health. So you have to stay on your knees. And like tr- for evolution after evolution, it's like basically reps for a week. You're dragging hoses through what we call the smokehouse, these buildings and putting out fire and stuff. And your knees just take a beating. And when you've already played offensive line yep. for 14 years... I mean, I was, everybody's like, invest in good knee pads. So I showed up the first day with these like super sweet gel Home Depot knee pads that wouldn't stay on my knee. They'd just slide off to the side. And like your turnouts have a little bit of padding, but we get these hand-me-down turnouts that are out of service that have like almost no padding left. So what I ended up doing was I literally bought like 10 millimeter McDavid like pads and then I had my seven millimeter just like knee sleeves that I use for weightlifting. Yeah. I would put the McDavid pads on and then put the knee sleeve over it. And it was 17 millimeters of padding that would keep it in place. And that was like the money. So it took me a little while to dial it in. But like that was enough padding to stay put to like wow. survive. Yeah. But after the end, at the end of hose week, I felt, and also I went into the academy at 33, so a little older. But at the end of hose week, I felt like I just did some dope days for sure. Yeah. Like my knees were killing me. Everything's hurting. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, yeah, this feels like double days. I'm right at home, but everybody else was like dying. And that when they asked me what it's like, me and I was like, it's like this, man. Like you, you show up, you prepare yourself for the day. You you did your studying the night before. Like in, in football, we had a playbook. Mm-hmm. In, in the fire department, you have your what are called SOG standard operating guidelines. It's basically your playbook. It's like what you do in different situations. If you have this type of fire and this type of room of residential, you do this stuff, right? It's still a playbook. It's right. like, yeah. if this, then this. Yeah. So you study that ahead of time, and we're taking tests, and we have classroom portions, just like you guys have meetings and whiteboard and like chalk talk and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you go out and you do evolutions, and you have to perform physically. And then if you're 33 and old like me, I would literally go to cryotherapy after every day on the way home <laughs> and try to recover for the next day. Yeah. Like, that's what being a professional athlete is like yeah. I'm being paid to study and perform physically and part of my job is to recover and especially in the NFL older guys vets their job is no longer like they've established themselves as as knowing how to do the job and and knowing the assignments they're the biggest part of their job is just getting their body like to, to recover preventing injury and recovering like being in the training room right they mm-hmm. get there early and they leave late so that it there was like that was the immediate thing, but then there's much more to it as far as command structure and stuff like that. The similarities for athletes, but um, I will say I have to say my favorite thing, and and this is what I miss the most about f- retiring from football. Obviously, it was awesome to run out of the tunnel and being in the huddle and even beating the crap out of myself was fun. And, you know, not so much the next day. Right. But what I miss the most, me as an offensive lineman, was my time in the O-line room with the other guys, like watching film mm-hmm. and BSing yep. and having fun and that camaraderie, that was what I, I missed the most. And that is the, that I got back with the fire service, like in the, in the firehouse, that camaraderie with your crew. Sometimes you have double houses, so you have two crews and like, I got it back. I love it. So yeah. for athletes, it's, it, 
it's a very natural fit because being on a team. Yeah, it's being on a team. It's doing you know learning your coaching techniques and applying what you know. Um, that was kind of how I sold myself because I got hired with no fire experience. But I would like they asked me straight up in my chief's interview, chief the former um, chief of operations, um, chief call Jim call. He like looked at my resume. He's like, dude, you got an awesome resume. You played in the NFL, all this life experience, but you have zero fire experience. Like, what are you gonna be do to be successful in my academy? And I was just like, I'm going to do what I've done my entire life. Like, basically, I'm gonna work really hard. I'm gonna stay humble, stay hungry, and be a sponge for new information. But I'm gonna apply everything I've learned and been successful with so far. Like, yeah, my you could say my NFL career was a failure because I was hurt and it was only two years that didn't last. But I still was in a percentage of people that never get there. I'd graduated from college with a 3.2 like GPA in at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Being able to just say like, yeah, I, I've never thrown a lot in my life, but I've done uh, Olympic lifting and snatching. It's very similar technique, like going from basically hip height to snatching the ladder over your head. I was like, I just got to make these correlations. Like mm-hmm. I can do it. I have the technique. I'm coachable. I'm not even worried about the physical aspect. I was like, I'm not saying that I'm taking your academy lightly, but I know that I, I, I'm coachable and I'm cap- physically capable of, A, recovering, because I'm mature enough to know what I need to do to recover, and I've got experience with training camps. I just need to learn the new stuff and like make it make sense in my head and do it. And he was like, okay. And they gave me a chance, and I, I excelled. So, it, I mean, and that's not just because I was a football player, like athletes, all, all sports, they're lifting weights, they're doing the scheduling, they're, they're learning their techniques, they're mastering their craft, and they're also learning how to balance that, which is beyond a full-time job, mm-hmm. with, with academics as well. So, like, it's, it's a perfect fit, and that's why we come and talk to you guys, and that's why I was, it was on my radar all the time. And I didn't throw it out there, but the full disclosure is I, I was – when I got offered the internship for that PR job, mm-hmm. it was two days before I was about to start an, an EMT course. So I was already about to go the firefighter route uh-huh. in 2011. But I was like, oh, a, a three-month paid internship, I have nothing to lose. If, it, if I don't like that job, if it sucks, I'll do the next yep. EMT course. And I ended up getting hired in four weeks. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I get to work with video games and work with one of my best friends from college. Right. All right, this is pretty sweet gig. It had, it had its corporate perks, right? And PR, uh-huh. like I, dead beers of work and stuff. I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> but like I said, that stuff is cool, but ultimately, it, like I said, it boiled down to me sitting at a desk most of the year. And I was like, yeah, I'll do something else. So what's the, once you become a firefighter, because mm-hmm. now you're, you're a firefighter for Alameda County, right? Yeah, Alameda County Fire Department. <clears throat> so once you, once you get to that position, what are the next steps that people take in their fire careers because I know um, talking about teaching and teachers don't get compensated enough yeah. uh, for, for, for what it is that they do um, how do you build up build yourself up within a fire career or um, get a promotion get a sense? promotion yeah um, so I mean there's a f- there's definitely a lot less like say taking the the command structure of a fire uh, fire department versus, say, my if I was still working in public relations. Yeah. In my five years in public relations, I had f- five positions. I was like, I was an intern, and then I was an account coordinator, and then I was an assistant account coordinator, or no, I was an assistant account executive AAE, and then I was a senior account executive. Right. And there's like account supervisor, 
and then there's VP or no, account director, VP, uh, senior vice president, all that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the fire service, you have your basic positions is you have firefighter, you got an engineer or driver, the same thing, they're interchangeable. Uh-huh. Your captain, then you have battalion chief, division chief, chief chief, and then board of supervisors basically. And there's like, you know, there's a, there's a multiple battalion chiefs, multiple division chiefs. Uh-huh. Like, but like if you're online, you're your firefighter, engineer, captain, or battalion chief. Online means you're still going to calls, like responding to fires and other calls. Yeah. And working the the shift schedule of two days on, four days off. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Some departments have different schedules. But once you become like a training captain or a training chief or division chief, now you're working some sort of a 40-hour work week, whether it be Monday through Thursday or Tuesday through Friday. That's how ours is structured. Um, so there's less roles, but there's a lot of things you can do within one one position to still get promotions, and we call them specialties. So me, I got hired as an EMT firefighter, mm-hmm. which the EMT in our department is a specialty, but um, I am a licensed paramedic. I finished it right before the academy, so I was fortunate enough to, to be hired as an EMT, and I have the option on turning on my medic or heating it up, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, um, so I, I can get a pay raise for turning on my medic, so I have a little more responsibility. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a specialty, so that's one way you can do it. You can also go to ha- uh, hazmat school, has, has, hazardous materials. We have mm-hmm. four hazmat crews, companies in our department. That's a specialty. That's another 5%. And then you can do um, – there's a couple other things that we're trying to make specialties, but – you can then with that you can then you can promote. So if you're an engineer, you're an engineer now, but you're an engineer paramedic hazmat mm-hmm. or whatever. You can be a captain hazmat medic captain. Like now you're making more money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of how it works within the fire service. And then there's there's other stuff you can do not just within your department, but within um, local entities. Like we have um, our USAR team for the local task force. So for like FEMA sponsors local tax tasks forces around the country for major major disasters um and so we have a USAR team which means urban search and rescue so if you make if you qualify and it's 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 a sought after position so it takes some time and some work to get into but if you get on the local um task force so our for us it's task force four which is run by oakland oakland fire department mm-hmm. um now you're you're not necessarily getting paid any more than what you are or any higher than your rank, but if there's a disaster, like unfortunately, like say last year when you know the the major all the fires, sure. right, like yeah. paradise, they'll deploy USAR teams from different task forces to these places. So our our USAR team went out to all the way to the East Coast last year for floods. So that's a way you're you're not working within your department but you're working on behalf of your department and your task force and you're getting paid f- f- the whole time right yeah. so it's a way to get deployed you know you're working extra but um that's a, a so this is like a lot of different avenues yeah and, and you can do specialties within the task force like there's a guy oh, in, yeah. in our department who um runs he, he currently has the only usar dog he's a dog handler so he's a firefighter dog handler and there's our the Bay Area has like a few different task forces, task force three, task force four. Yeah. And there's a handful of dog handlers, and they they'll go when they're needed to do. Um, they can, there's two types, there's two specialties even within that. It's like dogs that can find uh, live humans, 
and dogs that find cadavers, which is a, a dark thing to talk about, but it's it's still a necessity when you have like an entire city like Paradise burned down in California like last year. Mm-hmm. They had to go. They send the dogs up there to try to find survivors and to find, just to identify cadavers, basically. So it's it's just one of the things you can do within the task force. Yeah. So there's a lot. I mean, it's really is however much you want to put into it, you can put into it, and then. There's even more cool stuff in our department, but not necessarily. You're not going to get paid more for it. But we have we have bulldozers, we have boats, so we have water rescue specialists. Mm-hmm. We have heavy rescue, like a heavy rescue, and we have we have tiller trucks. So you can you can be like, I want to I want to operate a bulldozer. Well, you can go do that in our department. Yeah, you're not getting paid more for it yet, but it still pays you more in the end because when there's a big fire, bulldozers go to cut line on fire. So now you're getting you're getting overtime. Uh-huh. So you're not getting paid any more of a percentage but you're still making more in the end because your job was specialized enough to that you got all this overtime yeah that makes sense yeah yeah okay. absolutely and i'm i'm still new at it, at it so i'm still learning about this whole thing too it's like yeah. oh but like our department is one of the a very sought after department because it's it's a it's a a department of built up of cons- consolidations with other other departments coming in so because of that we're a bigger department and we have more options of things that you could do like mm-hmm. And I really want to like be on a water rescue, work at a boathouse. Well, we have three different department or stations in our department that have boats, mm-hmm. which is cool. So it's like oh, we have we we consolidate with Emeryville Fire a while back, and Emeryville has only two stations, but one's uh, on the water over by uh, you know where Chevy's is. And the, yeah, yeah. Like there's a station over there, and so you got a boat there. Yeah. So if there's any sort of like major uh, water rescue thing, like we'll be a part that in 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 the our jurisdiction, obviously. So we might help the Coast Guard with something. You know, it's pretty cool, man. Like, yeah, just to be able no. to do that. You I know? mean, it's... Uh, <clears throat> I didn't realize how much diversification there is within firefighting and how many different things you can specialize in. Yeah, and it's nuts, man. You really get to build it to whatever you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, and I only touched, like, scratched the surface. Like, those yeah. are just the big things. But you can even... There's guys in our department that are really into um, coding and computer stuff. But mm-hmm. there's a captain in our department who is so good at coding. And he built, like, basically our entire training platform. And he did such a good job that he had, he got hired by L.A. City to do it for their department, which yeah. is another major department. Like, he... I, I think that's the right department to hire him. But I know he's been hired by right. departments. Like, he's crushing it. And so... Like that's he's not getting well. He did get paid extra for it, but not he doesn't have it's not like a specialty pay, but mm-hmm. it's a it's definitely a valued um, aspect of, of him as a member of the department, and he he loves it, and it's actually built him a bit of a specialty that he could do maybe after he retires he could he could continue to do that for all departments like mm-hmm. he could be hired and like he's found himself another avenue right so, yeah that's awesome yeah it's pretty cool man like so I want to go back to you're talking about the camaraderie that you get to have uh, being yeah. a firefighter. Yeah. And I know we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned uh, your former teammate, uh, Francis. Blameiza. Blameiza, yeah. yeah. So you and Francis were teammates here. Yep. Uh, he helped you get the job at Alameda County Fire, and mm-hmm. you guys work together now. Um, and one of the things you were telling me is that back when you guys were here, uh, you would have like jam sessions. And yeah. A lot of guys sort of play music. Yeah. And oh, it was so cool. So, and then there's one more person too. Uh, so I'm in a band 
and, uh-huh. uh, with Francis Blamiza. He's our singer. He played outside linebacker here. He was class of 04. And um, our guitar player is Sid Slater, who played here class of 04. Also, he played middle linebacker. And and then myself. Our drummer uh, was is just a, a childhood friend of our, of Sid, who unfortunately went to UCLA. We won't hold it against him. But, uh, <laughs> um, but so three of us played here together. And um, at that time, Francis was more of a drummer. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't really know he was into the vocals and stuff, but uh, we jammed a couple times. Not not as much as you'd think because we're so busy. Yeah, uh, it was mostly like me and Sid had acoustics in camp, and we're just like trying to pass the time and get on the <laughs> football. We jam something. Um, it didn't become a formal thing until I was still here, but they both had graduated too because I was 06, they were 04. Okay. Um, and they started jamming together uh, in Sid's old apartment on Ben the New Avenue. Mm-hmm. And um, which is, by the way, our band is called Benvenue. So that's where the name came from. It's a throwback to Berkeley. Uh, I jammed with them a couple times, but it was when I jammed with them, Francis was playing drums. And it was Sid on guitar and me on bass, no vocals. Uh, it wasn't until later that we kind of became a real, of a, 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 a unit of where Fran was on vocals and with another drummer. But like not getting ahead of ourselves, like it was just cool in college to. A, have just that hobby. Like, full disclosure, one of the reasons I chose Berkeley was because of the, the rich culture of the Bay Area for music. Mm-hmm. I, music musician coming out of high school, I was very, very much into, like, punk rock and some metal and stuff, but there's some very big names that have come from the Bay Area, including um, Rancid. I don't know if you're familiar with Rancid, but mm-hmm. um, they're, they're Berkeley cats, basically. And... Um, I like I was like ah dude there's great music up here and my brother who my oldest brother lived in Petaluma at the time which is just over the bridge towards right. North Bay and he was in a band and I looked up to him and loved his music and I was like I'm gonna have my brother local and I can play music with him and his band I can go to these shows it's gonna be a good time and get a good education and play some football all right cool that was <laughs> like that was why that kind of what brought me here and then to have to find out that I wasn't the only guy on the team who came here for more than just football in school, right? It was, right. We had we had we had talented people, not just musicians, but like I, I think I mentioned my best friend Scott Smith, who was, uh, who is a teacher now, uh-huh. and he was uh, an English major and a very talented poet. He wrote amazing poetry and like, not a musician, but he was also a really good singer. Like he did he did um, he was in an acapella group on campus. And crushed it. I was like, dude, like he got me into listening to like acapella music when I was like this metalhead. Like, <laughs> I was like, what is this nerd stuff? I'm like, man, it's pretty good, dude. Like, um, and then I, I did try to pursue a music major here, but I even though I was very passionate about music, I was very behind the ball as far as music theory. And I, I mean, Berkeley students here in the Berkeley music program are like world class musicians. And uh-huh. I was like this football player who was a bass player <laughs> who. Yes, my first instrument was the trombone, and I used to know how to sight read, but I was like, I lost that, and was trying to catch up, and then figuring out it was focusing with football and conflicting with football, it became too difficult that I ended up changing my major. But I still took a bunch of music classes here and had a blast. Like I still took some sight singing classes and then like uh, breadth requirements that were that music classes would feel like. Um, I think it's 120 AC music is American culture's mm. requirement, which is a blast and. I shared that with some teammates, and it was it was just 
it was cool because like yeah we're football players we're here we have a mission we want to be successful but we also had this other thing that we could do on the weekends and like I said during those precious moments off in camp and back when we used to have to live here and you couldn't escape you know so yeah um it was it was a cool thing yeah it was it was just nice to be like it was very Berkeley if that makes sense yeah when I when I got here as a freshman, um, David Ortega, who was at our time like I forgot his role, but he was a, a big part of our, our program as far as the academic side and guiding us. And he he was just like you're you're really a Berkeley guy, like you're yeah. you're gonna fit in really well. And I was like I think I know what you mean. And then after like two years, it's like oh I know what you mean. Like <laughs> this is this is home, dude. Like I get it. Like like I said, I'm a, I'm a I was a I'm a big tattooed dude with I had like goofy hair now I don't have any hair so I just shaved my head but I had the big beard also and like mohawks and it was like I I walked down Telegraph and I didn't besides being all big I fit in right yeah I, I knew what he meant after that and then wow. also just being cerebral like Berkeley especially offensive linemen in, in general but Berkeley students are like I mean Berkeley athletes are kind of nerds I mean for lack of a better yeah. term I don't I don't think of that as derogative at all like it's a pride thing you know I, I even to this day I'm, I play Dungeons and Dragons and do nerdy stuff and like that my whole group of old linemen here we yes we did the video games and stuff but we literally play like Risk and like just do goofy stuff like like which people think would laugh because they don't think about that when they can think about football players so it's like yeah. dude we're just we like having fun oh I, I mean I totally know what you mean um I live with a couple other offensive linemen among some other guys, but, like, we'll get together and, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the game Settlers of Catan. Like, yes. We'll play that game all the time. And, really? like... Uh, it's getting more mainstream. We, we've brought, we brought it traveling somewhere, like, a year ago, I think. Nice. We played it in a room. But, yeah. Um, so, like, that or, uh, like, me and... Uh, one of the guys that live with, we like to sit on the couch and like watch Jeopardy and like guess ourselves, sort of like keep track of who gets what answers right, no penalties. Yeah. Uh, so it's like stuff like I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and that's cool to hear that that was you know a similar way back back when you were playing here and yeah still kind of persists. Heck yeah, man. I mean it, it like I said it fits. It, it it's a very offensive line thing. Yeah. Because we're cerebral. But like I going back to like even in high school and younger, like my dad, I used to play chess and stuff, and he was an athlete. He was a he played some line, but he was a little smaller. Once he got past high school, he played linebacker. But yeah, I it, it to me it just seems like what you do. But to to the outside viewer, they're like what? Like but I mean, like you mentioned Settlers of Catan, and that's one of my favorite games, and it's becoming more mainstream because I remember just a couple of years ago, like the. It was the Green Bay line. Like there was a feature about them playing settlers so yeah. together and stuff. I, so, I didn't even know about yeah, that. Yeah, right now that's what so. It is. I mean, I saw that. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I, 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 that's what it should be, man. O line. A, it's it's a camaraderie thing. Like you're hanging yeah. out with your buddies, doing something that is constructive. You're thinking and having fun, and it's wholesome, I guess. But um, with B, it's very Berkeley as well. So. Yeah. So uh, one last question about your your band that yeah. you and Francis and Sid, uh, Sid, Sid Slater uh-huh, that you guys um, are in before we get to the final three, which are the last three questions that I ask everybody that comes on. Here. Oh, awesome. awesome! Yeah. So uh, last question about the band, though. Um, what what kind of music do you guys play, and when do you find the time to get together and practice and and go play? Or, That's a good yeah. question. So. 
um, th- this style of music is, I would call it hard rock. Okay. As like uh, a little bit of a the genre police, I would say. Some people would call it metal because they're like, oh, that's kind of heavy. Yeah. I would call it hard rock. Okay. Um, it, it is very, if you listen to it, you'll definitely hear the influences from all of us of what we like. Right. I'm definitely, I'm not by, by any stretch the only guy who listens to heavy music in a band, but I listen to and probably the most consistently heavy metal. Very heavy stuff, mm-hmm. um, but also I, I like punk. I like anything that's good, dude. I listen to pop. I listen to acoustic, whatever. Um, so you'll hear some of the heavier stuff in there musically. You'll hear Francis doing uh, very catchy, like accessible vocals, but like rock still, like just energetic, getting after it, kind of yeah. singing like like big choruses where people can sing along. We love that kind of vibe, especially when you play live. It's the most fun. Um, and then like Sid is he's a Amazingly well on a guitar player. After after he went to Cal, he he went to the Musicians Institute in LA for like a year or two. Uh-huh. He ended up dropping out because he was like he had a family business waiting for him and he kind of realized it was very expensive to to invest in probably not being a rock star, I guess. Yeah. He was like most of the people he was being taught by were studio musicians and you can make a living at that, but it's a hard living. Um, but he I mean, you're well rounded. And so it's not too heavy. It, I've been in very heavy projects on the side, um, but this band is very much like, it's it's one of my favorite things about playing in bands, people, is, is it's um, it's the culmination of all four of our right. styles coming together, where it's like, it's heavy, it's aggressive enough for me to like it, and I can rock out to it and headbang, but it's also like, it's got the catchy vocals that even people who like softer music can, can, can listen to, right? Sure. Because um, a lot of people just can't get past the screaming of metal that, uh-huh. that I have since gotten past. But um, So that's there. And then um, finding the time to get together to make that music, that that is the challenge. So um, especially now that three of the four of us in this band are firefighters. Our drummer, who didn't play football at Cal, is also a firefighter. And Francis also helped him become a firefighter. So yeah. he, Francis is like the man when it comes to like mentoring people into the fire service, which is why he's been working with you guys. And mm-hmm. I've started to join him now that I'm in the service. Well, I, I mean, you guys always have like a whole crowd of people. Yeah, well, I, and it. you know, and we're very fortunate that it's a it's one of the public service jobs that people still it still has it doesn't have a bad stigma. Unfortunately, like law enforcement have a really hard job right now, hard mm-hmm. time. Whether, whatever your views are on that and why it I don't think anybody's jealous of their profession you know mm-hmm. and firefighters people still like firefighters yeah you know and um, but with that comes the shifts that we work right so the three of us that are firefighters in a band are currently on three different shifts uh, that's tough so in order to get all four of us together someone's taken a, a vacation day or a trade um, but we can, we practice, Fran and Sid and I, we, we get together a lot and we write music and then we come, then when we, the four of us get together, we'll, we'll build it into a song. And then a lot of times, you know, sometimes it'll be the, the drummer, me and the guitar player and we'll write stuff and then Fran comes. So it, it's usually three people, honestly. Uh-huh. And then when we have something like a show that we have coming up um, next Friday, not this Friday, um, then we'll like okay now someone's gonna we're gonna we're gonna take some trades and some vacation days to get right. all four together to like lock it in and rehearse for the show because uh-huh. we're not really writing anything new for the show we're we're rehearsing the stuff that we've been spending years writing okay now we just gotta tighten it up you know so 
that it, but it is challenging and it's then that's just the jobs aspects and then you have guys having families we're old man we're i'm the youngest one i'm almost 35 in the band so i mean francis has he's got a just over a one-year-old and our drummer he has three kids and his first his first kid was twins so <laughs> he took off running so um that makes it more difficult yeah real life but dude we're doing it we're not rock stars by any means as far as i mean like we're not professional musicians on a, a label we're doing it as a hobby it keeps us it keeps us young and it's a creative outlet and it's a chance for us to get together and have a good time and the fact that i'm playing music which i already love with two other former teammates that i love it's it's awesome i couldn't ask for anything else so um yeah so like that we're we're playing a show on 816 in uh at the cornerstone in berkeley which oh, yeah. which Fun fact, used to be Thalassa, which was my favorite bar and pool hall when I was at Cal. I'd go play pool there. But the new owners turned the pool hall into a very nice venue. Uh So we're super excited to play it. Not just because it's really nice, but it's like a a Cal place in Berkeley. Yeah. Right before you guys. It's a week before you guys play your first game. We're stoked, man. Like, to, yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, like Ben you coming back to Berkeley. Like, we, even though most of us don't even live in Berkeley anymore, we still like on our on our pages, like on Instagram, you'll see like we claim Ben Berkeley. Like Benvenu says Berkeley, California. Like that's uh-huh. that's where we were formed. That's where it's just where the heart is, right? Yeah. That's where the name is. Literally, the name. Yeah, is it's the name so, of the street. To be able to come back next week and on the 16th and play, like we're we're excited. We're gonna have a lot of Cal family out there, and then obviously firefighters and first responders, and then everybody else we've ever just hopefully had an impact on. <laughs> but um, yeah, to answer the question, all right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, that's I, a, I think I, that's a great note to to end the regular part of this interview yeah, on. And no, let's bring jump on the into final, these three. final three. Yeah. yeah. So first thing is, uh, give me one thing that you've read, watched. Or to listen to lately that inspired you and you think people listen listening should check out. Oh man. Oh man. Um man, I'm currently reading Brave New World because I never read it. It's good, but I can't I haven't finished it, so I can't recommend that. <laughs> um that inspired me. Uh this is maybe a cop out answer, but um American Gods. I, mean, I don't know if you it's a book by Neil Gaiman okay. um, a great book that is my favorite book uh, I definitely recommend reading it but they made um, they just finished the second season on Showtime so they made a show out of it basically. okay and uh, it's definitely not I wouldn't call it like oh no it is the book and the show is definitely like a political satire or like at least like social commentary uh-huh. metaphorically uh, worth worth checking out, but as a Norse mythology, Scandinavian studies nerd, it's based off all sorts of gods from religions. But the main character, well, not the main character, but the main um, you could say um, antagonist is based on Odin, Odin, uh-huh. and it has Norse gods in it and stuff. And it's it's just a really cool story about gods from all all along the like historical timeline. In, in like modern day time and like they're actually real characters yeah but they're based off I like I, for a lot of people might know this but they their existence is based off how many people believe in them so like the older gods are much weaker because no, nobody believes in them anymore uh-huh. and then the, like the new powerhouse is media like the god of media it's really cool that's like the social commentary yeah and the political stuff so 
I, I love it because it's just it gets all of my like mythology juices going. Yeah. But it's also cool because I mean all that somehow still channels itself into into like creative inspiration even with music and commentary and stuff like that. Like our music is not incredibly political, but this these new this new album coming out soon is definitely the most political stuff we have. Um, so it, it definitely comes through. So some of that Berkeley. Yeah, yeah that yeah. Berkeley, man. Uh-huh. That Berkeley, dude. So hopefully yeah. that answers that one. Already. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the next question is, who or what was your biggest inspiration to figuring out what you're passionate about and acting on it? Man. You guys and I know there's a list. I mean, yeah. Half the people I tell this question to, like, there's a whole list. So you can just pick a couple. Yeah, of yeah. Um, man. Well... I'd have to I'd have to siphon it out into like different aspects, like sure. avenues, you know. So I'll pick I guess the one who had like the the biggest impact on everything would be my dad. And um more so just because he was supportive of everything and like definitely didn't make all the right decisions himself, but tried his best to be like, maybe do this and not that. It's just learn from my mistakes. But um, there's a few no- moments along the way where it, like it kind of clicked, and the biggest one that's funny is when I when I got the job in public relations. My parents like me, they're like, "What is that? I don't even know what that is." <laughs> and when I explained it to my parents, what it was, my dad was like, "So you found a way to make money off of being yourself, which is like just this super like outgoing dude who like." just really personable and makes yeah. friends like because I used to go to wrestling tournaments in high school and they'd be like two day tournaments and we'd be driving back from a tournament and I would know every single heavyweight like we I made friends with every heavyweight and I'd be like oh dude he's into this and this and this and he was like you have he did not have that skill I definitely get that from my mom uh-huh. um, but he recognized it early on like you have an ability to like just break the ice and like form relationships really quickly and even though I'm not in PR anymore, PR is incredibly important as a firefighter and as an EMT slash going to be a paramedic. Being able to like break down someone's walls quickly and find out what's going on, yeah. Especially as a large dude with tattoos who could be intimidating and a shaved head, it's like he. I would say he he influenced that because he realized he, he helped me realize that that was something special. I thought it was just being me, and I am. But I didn't realize that that is a skill that is what we call hard skill. Mm-hmm. There's soft skills you can teach. That's a hard skill I had like in my DNA that he was like, you should do something with this. And when I got into PR, he's like, wow, you did something with it. And then I was like, I took that and turned it into firefighting and was uh-huh. able to still, even though you might think they're, they're so far apart, but like the, the, the skill of talking to people and communications is a hard skill that not a lot of people have, especially younger generations where they're even more glued to the screen. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm not glued to my phone like most people, right. but like I didn't have it when I was in those more critical development years. Yeah. Uh, and there's definitely some of it in the DNA and some of it in just my upbringing. Like the like quick fact is up to the ninth grade, I had been in nine different schools. Like I had to move schools a lot and I'm sure having to make new friends all the time. Yeah. Definitely helped me with learning how to break the ice. Like I could have went either I could have shut down and just been a loner, or just take it and be like, "Well, I'm gonna have to make friends." So this is how I did it. So that helped too, you know. But and certainly my mom's personality, like ran, like was part of that. But my dad directed it. I would like to say so. 
Awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard yeah. question to answer, though. No, it's, it's a good I mean, question. It is, it's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this last one might be a little bit tough, too. Okay. That's why I, I like that's it. Why the you know, three. at first I was thinking, man, I wish you would have gave me these ahead of time, but I'm glad you didn't because if you get uh, it. Like, I like putting yeah, them on you, the spot. Yeah, you put people on a spot, you get a more honest answer, honestly. Yeah. So go ahead. Shoot. So, last one. What right now is your current goal? Oh, man. <laughs> um,. My, I'll, I'm going to pick the biggest goal. Yeah. Yeah, you have to, right? Of um, course. My biggest goal right now is to complete, successfully complete my probation for being a firefighter. So my, my department has a two-year probationary period. Every fire department across the country has a probationary period. It's like, uh-huh. it's just a thing. But most of them are a year to 18 months tops. Ours is two years. It's a it's actually so long that it... It actually it deters some people from applying to our department because it's like oh man that's brutal especially if they're coming from another department. Um, but I'm I'm 18 months in or even I say 19 months in so I will, I'll be off probation in January of 2020 and the light at the end of that tunnel is getting bigger. Yeah. But I still have we we do quarterly evaluations so I've had six quarterly evaluations or I have six I've had four done successfully I have two more. And those are a combination of mental testing, like you have to do presentations on some subjects and also physical performance of skills that are tough, that are mm-hmm. difficult. And not only are they difficult, but you have to hit the check boxes to do it properly and, and to pass. And, and and it's just, you know, in, in many ways that I could continue talking about, it's difficult, but it's also amazing. And that is my number one goal, is just to get through the probation and then like, Okay, take a big deep breath and then basically start probation all over again because they'll get me, I'm going to start my medic stuff and they'll have to put on a paramedic probation. But it's different because it's like my job is safe because I'm union. Right. I'll just have, I'll still have to work, but it's like you can still have the, 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 the safety net. When you're on your first probation, like this, the safety net is is not there. Obviously, the department's going to do things. They're, they're going to give you resources to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's all on you, honestly. I mean, everything is on you to make it work. But sure. It, it, it's hard work, man, and um, completing a two-year probation for our department is like nothing. It, it's nothing short of like when people get off probation, they literally have parties, like they celebrate. <laughs> and my, when my class, like like you have a class, so I got I went to the 2018 Academy, yeah. so I'm the class of 2018. So when my class, once everybody gets through, we've had some people get let go. Like it's not guaranteed. Yeah. And so you know, hopefully nobody else will get let go, but. Um, when, like classes usually do something that's, that's usually like a trip like to, once they get off probation they celebrate with like a trip to Cabo or a cruise or something yeah so one of the guys in my uh, in my class actually he relieved me this morning so I could be here he um, he went to Davis played soccer at Davis and uh-huh. he's um, his his uh, mom is Brazilian like st- pure Brazilian and so he's already planning like hey we might go to Brazil and I'm like down down dude we'll see what happens <laughs> so that's my big goal man obviously it's it's to continue to be a good. I'm about to get married. By the way, I'm engaged, but I want to be. I want to be a good partner. I want to be a good. I, I don't have kids. I don't plan on having kids, but we we breed dogs and we train dogs. I want to be a good dog trainer and like a responsible dog breeder. And there's there's smaller goals. Those are life goals too. What kind like, of dogs? We breed what are called cane corsos, which are Italian mastiffs. Okay. There's two types of Italian mastiffs, so that's why they have another name. Yeah, I'm. I'm 
God, we're upset we didn't even get into this. I know. Right I'm sorry, brother. Maybe, no, maybe all good. we'll have an episode two or yeah. something. But <laughs> follow up. Yeah, dude. And I, so I'm also interested in that canine program for our task force and stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's that's after probation to see because like right now probation is such a uh, behemoth that it's like yeah I'm gonna I don't want to divide my attention anymore. Sure. You know, just being doing this music thing while on probation is a is a luxury. So I don't want to push it. You know. Uh-huh. Um, but man, it, that's a great question, dude. Yeah. Uh, great three questions. I like the final <laughs> three, dude. Damn. Okay. If we do an episode two, you're gonna have to have a different final three, uh, or maybe the same ones because they might change. They could change. They yeah. should change it. So, um, so the last thing, so those are, those are all for the questions. But if uh, people want to find your music, you guys said you're coming out with an album pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking that. Um, so our band is called Benvenue, all one word: B E N V E N U E. It's named after a street in Berkeley. Um, we have Instagram. You can just look at Benvenu Band on Instagram. Facebook is Benvenu Band. Uh, Twitter is the same thing also. And then I think it's just BenvenuBand.com is our website. But if you go to the, the social media, it's got the link. Mm-hmm. Our old music is available on all platforms, iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Google sure. Play, all that. The new album, we don't have a set release date yet, but it'll be this month. And, uh, and it'll be available And on it'll be platforms. on all those things as well, yeah. And... Uh, it, it's all digital right now. We we're making some CDs ourselves for this show, but mostly for friends and family. But yeah. it's so it's almost not worth making CDs as when you're not like a, a, a band on a label touring. Like uh-huh. you're not going to really sell CDs. You're just giving them to your friends. So yeah. Like people, people, most people just go to the streaming services now. So yeah. it'll be for now. It's all digital. If there's like some outcry for we need CDs or records, <laughs> be like all right, we'll think about it. But. Uh, yeah, you can find it on all basically all your your favorite music platforms. Awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, man. man. Yeah, no, thank you for taking the time to come uh, back to your old stomping grounds oh, and, and talk to me today. And Well, thank you for yeah. having me, man. I know you're busy due to student athlete and at a, at a, a university like Berkeley and a program like Berkeley is it's it that's a an endeavor all the time. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks for taking the time. I really enjoy Eric's story of taking the time to try out different paths, all for the purpose of finding out what it is that he loves to do. Again, Eric's band is called Benvenue, and they're playing a show on August 16th at Cornerstone in Berkeley if you want to go check out their show, or you can find their music online on all of the streaming platforms by searching Benvenue. Eric's story is yet another illustration of happiness coming from filling your life with people and things that you love. As always, stay stignatious.